You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Take your Bibles and let's get into the book of Joshua chapter 9, if you will. Joshua chapter 9, where we left off again a couple, three weeks ago. Again, I appreciated Brother Ruckman preaching a fine message. Um, that was last Sunday night, I believe. I appreciate that again, Brother. Thank you. Joshua chapter 9. I had the privilege of preaching this at a uh, youth rally at the first part of the year back in February uh, down in Omaha. And um, man, it fits so well. It, I just kept it in the, in the sequence of the uh, messages that I'm preaching through here in Joshua. I want to talk tonight about the great deception. Um, I was watching some little clips and it said, how did they word that? It, it, um, it was tricks in baseball. I mean, professional baseball. And so what had happened was a guy had, um, he, he was up to bat, he hit the ball, he's running for first base, and uh, of course the guy that caught the ball out uh, in, in the infield threw it to, to first base, but not in time. So the guy on first base was safe. Uh, so there was a, another guy on second base, and the guy at first base acted like he took the ball and threw it over to third base in case he was trying to steal. But he didn't really throw the ball. And the guy on first base is like, oh, good, he's throwing the ball. And he stepped off the plate. And the guy was first base and was standing there watching him like this. And as soon as he just stepped off the plate for just a second, reached over and tagged him, and he was out. And I watched, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm in a professional baseball game. And I watched clip after clip after clip of that, uh, how deceiving it can be, and yet it's legal to do, uh, but you really do have to watch because sometimes things may not always be as they appear. They may be very, very different than what they appear. Hope you're listening to me tonight. Sometimes things look so very strongly a certain way, and you're going to feel exactly like you got it all figured out. You know exactly what was going on, but you're so easily deceived and Listen, if Satan has had how many thousands of years now to watch human activity and to know how we are weak and where we, um, sometimes we have a tendency to have blind spots, um, he knows how to do the tricks in our life so that we can be, and I'll put it this way, tagged out in the Christian life. In other words, off base and not in a place where God would really like for us to be. That's part of our story here tonight. If you'll if you'll notice, uh, Israel's gone through, across the Jordan River. We'll talk about all that here in just a minute. They've, you know, fought. Uh, Jericho is down. Ai is finally taken. And now they're ready to go and systematically take out all these little kingdoms around them that are living so wickedly. I mean, and they are living wickedly. They're doing ungodly things, and God hates the way they've been living, and he wants them wiped off the land. And he's going to give... Uh, you know, clear title to Israel, which by the way, they still have clear title to Israel. 
And so they, they get, you know, the, they're working on this territory. But here's one of the events. And this is one of those deceptive times that they thought they knew exactly what was going on, but they did not know what was going on. Listen to me, they were tagged out in some ways. Start with me in chapter 9 and verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side Jordan, notice all of them, uh, in the hills and in the valleys and in all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard thereof that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua um, and with Israel with one accord. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and unto Ai, they did work wilily. That's a word we don't use very often, but sneaky, deceptively. And went and made, listen to the wording, as if they had been ambassadors, you know, representatives from other, a faraway country. And took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent, or they're all cracked and, and ripping and bound up. And old shoes and clouded upon their feet and old garments upon them and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. Sound like anybody else's bread box. <laughs> Ever look in the backside of your bread box? Might do you good to do that every now and then. <clears throat> Verse 6, And they went to Joshua under the camp at Gilgal, and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We become from a far country. Now therefore, make a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, 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 so, Peradventure you dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye, and from whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a very far country thy, uh, thy servants are come, because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sihon king of Hezbon and Og king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth. Wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants, therefore now make ye a league with us. This our bread we took hot. For our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, look at it. He's saying, it's dry and it's moldy. Can you see the Israelites grabbing it and looking at it? And these bottles of wine which we, which, uh, we filled were new. And behold, they be rent, or they're all torn and tattered. And these, our garments and our shoes, are become old by reason of the very long journey. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Is that underlined, highlighted in your Bible there for any reason? If it's not, guys, would you circle verse 14? Would you underline that? Maybe install a light on it so that every time you come to it, it flashes in your eyes. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them. And made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. 
And it came to pass at the end of three days, guys, here's, uh, now here comes the truth, you know. Uh, at the end of three days after they had made a league with them that they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among them. They weren't all that really far away from them in the first place. And the children of Israel journeyed and came unto their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Kephira, Beeroth, Kerjath, Jearim. And the children of Israel smote them not, although that was God's command to them, because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel, and all the congregation murmured against the princes. Look at verse 20. Um, So they had to say, this we will do to them. We will even let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swear unto them. You know what they just said? Now these guys are what? Are these guys friends? Are they really ambassadors? Are they really people that just want to come and be uh, buds with them, friends, let us be your servants? Or are these guys really the enemy? We all know they're the enemy. And what happened in verse 20? They basically said, guys, we really messed up. And here's what we got to do. We got to let the enemy stay in our house, in our territory, the rest of our existence because of a mess up that we have made. So I want to stop there and have a word of prayer and then get into this great deception here tonight. And I thank you again, Lord, for letting us read your word and how careful that you've let the Old Testament stories be examples or in samples, I believe you've used in another place, to kind of wake us up and help us to look and see and understand exactly the kind of things we could fall into the kind of things that would happen to us if we're not watchful and careful and listening for your word and your voice in our hearts. So we need you tonight. And I pray that you'll help us just to be honest with you, God, to be just very open and um, transparent between us and the Spirit of God. I pray you'll help us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I know I told you about the, the ball players. That was very unique. But let me, let me read you another example, true story. Does anybody know the name Joe Gibbs? Some of you guys are sportsters, right? Did I read this to you already one time? Well, if I did, I'm going to read it again, and just please act like it's the first time you ever heard it. <laughs> but Joe Gibbs, he was the former coach of the Washington Redskins. Every woman in here is like, oh, yeah, now we get who he is, right? Yeah, like football at all. So he tells a story. Here's Joe Gibbs' story told the story of a a lab, a Labrador retriever that he owned. It was his pet, and he loved his pet. It was a little rambunctious, and it did some things maybe that it ought not to do from time to time, but he loved his lab. And one day, his lab came home from the neighbors with their pet rabbit in his mouth, dead. And Joe was petrified. Now what do I do? Do I go over and tell him? What's the easiest thing for me to do? His mind is stirring and running. So here's what Joe said he did. He said <laughs> he said he brought the rabbit in the house and cleaned it up, washed it, got all the dirt off of it and all the muck and everything that uh, the mess and the blood, and blew it dry with a hairdryer. <laughs> and at nighttime that night, in the dark, he snuck back over to his neighbor's house and put it back in the rabbit cage. Nobody will know, right? 
Well, the next day, that neighbor appeared with a knock on the door with a dead rabbit in his hand. And Joe's eyes bugged out. And the neighbor said, Joe, we've got a really sick person in this neighborhood. He said, my rabbit died three days ago and I buried it. And some sick person has dug it up and cleaned it off and put it back in the cage. (laughs) That is one of my all-time favorite stories. Joe Gibbs. Deception. Sometimes it works and sometimes it just does not. Israel at this point, guys, has already crossed over the Jordan River. I've kind of talked to you about that. And if you'll remember, a lot of people believe that the crossing over of the Jordan River is representative uh, of somebody crossing on over into heaven. You know, you've left this life, cross over the river, now you're in the great promised land in heaven. And I, I don't have a major problem with that, but I think the better picture of that, and you've heard me say this many times, I think the better picture of the Christian, you know, when the crossing of the Jordan River is where that Christian finally reaches the place in their life uh, where they've grown to the place in the Lord where they've stopped going back and forth between, between wanting to, to live in the world, you know, always wanting to go, go back into Egypt and then wanting to live for God and then I want to live for the Lord and, and then I want to go back and live in the world and, and it goes back and forth. But this Christian finally has put the brakes on and said, I'm done with that kind of a life, and I want to I live for God, and, and I'm selling out for God, and I, here's my surrendered heart. It's not saying that they never stumble and falter and fail a little bit, but instantly they're back up, uh, they're back on trail with God, they're not you know, falling miles backwards in their growth in the Lord. So when Israel made it into the promised land, you know like I do, there were still battles to fight. This was no heaven-like place. There were many things that had to be uh, dealt with and taken care of, and there were enemies still in the land that had to be fought and dealt with. And so the better picture of this is Israel or the Christian finally coming to a place in their life where they've grown up in Christ. They learned what it means now to abide in Christ and He to abide in me, to have good fellowship with God and to walk with the Lord. That's the picture that I I believe that uh, God is trying to depict here. So Uh, You know they've already marched around the walls of Jericho. They've seen the walls fall flat along with the enemy on the inside, and they wiped them out. Remember the battle at Ai? They messed up. They just took off 3,000 men they thought would be plenty. 36 men were buried that night or in the the next several days because of one major sin. And I don't think they've totally learned the lesson from that little city. And now they're going to make their way through the land. They're going to wipe out all the wicked nations that are in the land. That's what God has commanded them to do. And I, I, I could go through and list again the number of things that those heathen lived their lives by and the wickedness of what was done, but it was bad and God wanted it wiped out. And so that's their, their next, next task is to wipe these people out. Don't make friends with them. Don't bring them into the fold. Uh, they have habits. They have ways about them that can ruin and destroy the Christian's life, so I need them to be wiped out. They're a very deceptive people. They'll make you think one thing and the next thing you know, uh, their the real collars are shining and, and here they are in the midst of you. No, don't let that. I want them wiped out was 
the plan of God. But here Israel looks up, not long after they'd gone across, and here come some guys on their horses, and you find here now the Gibeonites' plan. You heard what it was. We took our time in reading that. You know what they did. I mean, these guys had heard how powerful Israel was, and they were scared to death with good reason. Um, So they came up with this plan to try to keep themselves alive. Guys, we got to do something. we got to think really hard and try to imagine what can we do. And so go back into verse 4 with me again, and let's kind of walk through their their little plan again. In verse 4 it says, they did work wilily and went and made as if they'd been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up, and old shoes and clouded upon their feet, old garments upon them. Can you imagine what these guys look like? And all the bread of their provision was, was dry, it was moldy. They went to Joshua and to the camp at Gilgal and said unto him, and to the men of Israel, we become from a far country, now therefore make a league with us. We're not part of the enemy that you're, you're after. We're not really all that bad for you. Um, you know, we're, all we're doing, we've come from this really, really, really far away country. We're not the enemy. Uh, so would you make a league with us? And they're just, you know, hands behind their back, their fingers crossed, and hoping everything works um, as they have planned. And these guys were literally willing to do anything that it took to try to make this plan work. So you've got the Israelites, now they've got a decision to make. The offer has been laid out before them. Um, what they didn't know was the enemy has now made their offer. These nice-looking guys, these poor guys, uh, these men that really could use some help, and they've probably sent back into the camp and said, get some fresh bread for these guys. Hey, get some of those better sandals for these guys. I'm sure that kind of thing has already been going on. And the offer from, and I'll just call them the enemy, has already been made, and Israel now has a decision to make. And I want you to stop and consider this. Um, You have to understand that as Israel stood there and listened to their story, they heard in their ears that these guys were ambassadors from a far country, and how they they looked with their eyes, and they saw the bread that they held out and said, look, it's dry and it's moldy. Uh, and, uh, and, and look at our shoes. They're all wore out. You don't wear shoes out in just a real short trip. And I'm sure they dug some old shoes up from somewhere that were 100 years old and put them in the pack and used those. And they said, look at these shoes. And so with their eyes, with their ears, they're seeing and they are hearing things that, uh, you know, made them feel very sympathetic toward them. And I'm sure Israel standing there, Joshua, a godly man, a man that loved God with all of his heart, had the attributes of God flowing through him as well, and his heart was tendered to these guys. I'm sure sympathies began to develop inside of him. Listen, I'm sure his emotions were getting stirred up, and I'm sure his heart just started to open up toward these guys. And I would say this, Christians of all people ought to be sympathetic toward tough circumstances that strangers might be going through. And we of all people should hurt when others are hurting and help where we can help. There ought to be somebody that would stand up and say, is there anything I can do for you? We'd be glad to provide some bread for you. Be glad to put shoes on your feet and clothing on your back and, and help you out. That's, that's only natural. That'd be normal for a Christian to do. And even in this world, guys, there are people in this world who could use our help and they need a helping hand. They need the encouragement from somebody 
surely the Christian would be somebody that would show sympathy, would show uh, a love that they have never seen, and uh, of all people that ought to be us in this world that would be helpful people. So don't miss what I'm going to say. With their, with their eyes they saw that the clothing and the bread was old. They saw the old wine bottles. With their nose they smelled the moldy bread. And they, they saw the mold on the bread. They even had strong emotions about what they had seen. And uh, they wanted to be good Christians and to help the hurting. Good Samaritan was trying to come out of those guys. And anything they could do to help, they wanted to try to do so. And guys, up until this point, there's not really a whole lot of strong red flags uh, flying yet, but they're coming pretty quick. So with all these different ways that they had examined and inspected these men and their possessions, they concluded, I mean, they, and this is where the red flags come flying, they concluded, there should never have been a conclusion right after that, they concluded that these guys were telling the truth. I mean, look. It's obvious, isn't it? Haven't you been in places like that? Haven't you met some friends or been in a circumstance or you looked at a, 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 maybe a TV program, you thought it's not all that bad. What can be so wrong about this or a, this book that I might read? And, and from all appearance, it might have looked innocent. And the person you thought maybe I'll make some uh, uh, friends with looked very innocent. And, and I understand their plight they're just a sad person that needs a friend uh, to embrace them and to try to be able to maybe be a help and a blessing to them. But you see with your eyes, you hear with your ears, your emotions might even be stirred up inside of you. All those things are natural and normal. So again, with all these different ways that they had examined and inspected these men and their possessions, they finally come to this conclusion. They're telling us the truth. And they went ahead and made a peace treaty with the enemy a lot of christians that have done that made peace with the enemy hold your place here and let me remind you of a verse i've used often uh, with us before but hold your place and go back to first thessalonians chapter five First Thessalonians 5, go down toward the end of the chapter. So, verse 23 here, would you look at that with me? You say, oh, preacher, I remember you going through these, this several times, but watch, let's walk through it again. Verse 23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole, notice the three things God describes a human being with, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what were the three things God says he would like to see those preserved blameless or that we can live our lives in such a way that we're maintaining our servanthood with Christ. We, we don't go astray. What are the three things God talks about there? My spirit, my soul, and our body. 
Those are three very important elements, of course, of a human being and then especially of a Christian. Now going back over to where we were there in Joshua, I want to say to you, notice the three things that make up a man. We have a spirit, you know as well as I do before we got saved, um, that our spirit was dead inside and the minute we got saved, the spirit of God, um, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus came inside of us and gave us life in our spirit and now we have a spirit. And uh, so we have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. And let's be reminded, what do each of these three um, do for us? Uh, how do those three parts of, a, of an individual communicate? This is really important that you try to understand this. With our body, this will be an easy one, our body is able to communicate with physical things. Um, for some reason, I'm extra dry tonight, so I, I keep drinking the cool water. It goes down a parched throat, and I can communicate. My physical body communicates with that. Anybody eating an ice cream cone uh, knows what it means to communicate the body with physical things. Um, but we, we feel things with our body. We see things with our eyes. And with our body, we communicate with physical things. Um, <clears throat> you move along to um, you have our, our soul on the inside. And with our soul, how does it communicate? Our soul communicates with other human beings. My soul communicates with your soul. I, I, I see a, a, a tear in your eye. I hear the tremor in your voice. I hear what you have to say, and my, my soul becomes knit with yours. I hear your story. I, I hear what your life was like. My soul becomes knit with yours, and I communicate. That's how I communicate with you is with my soul. You've heard the term soulmates. So with our body, we communicate with physical things. With our soul, we communicate with each other. But guys, with our spirit, we communicate with God. And before you're saved, you don't have the ability to communicate with God. The first prayer God ever hears of a lost man, I believe, is the prayer to be saved. And that spirit of life inside God gives us now gives me and you the ability to communicate with a holy God I have that ability now. I have a spirit of life inside of me, and I, I can communicate with God. So would you look up here and listen to me very carefully? I'm really kind of coming down to the crux of what I believe God wants us to understand here tonight. Guys, question here tonight. When we make decisions about major things in our life, how many of those three things can be used in helping us make that major decision? Um, we have some young people that have gone off to, to respective colleges, and I hope that they're doing well, the kids in college, and, and uh, different ones are faring well, and they've gotten settled in, and, and different ones possibly are looking at what they might be doing for their life. And they have some very major decisions out in front of them, especially as a young person tonight. Man, I hope you'll hear this. There are things out in front of you that you're about to make some of the most important decisions in your life. I'm not saying as, as we've grown older and, and that we're at the age we're at tonight, some of us older ones, um, that we don't have major decisions to make. We obviously do. But how many of those three parts of our being help us make decisions? You go to buy a, a washer and a, and a dryer. You know, they're like $59.99, aren't they? Not. Has anybody had to go look for washers and dryers recently? Oh, my goodness thieves and robbers. Well, anyway, so you go and look at a, for a washer and dryer. How are you going to figure out how that works? You use your eyeballs. 
Um, you, you use your ears, you listen to the sales pitch and so on. But uh, we, we've got uh, different parts of our body are going to be used to help make that decision. For instance, back in verses 4 to 6, would you go there one more time? I want to keep reading this. I want you to see it again. Let's read it one more time. Verse 4, they did work wildly, went and made as if they'd been ambassadors, took old sacks upon their asses uh, wine and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up old shoes and clouded on their feet, old garments on them, and the bread of their provision, dry and moldy. And they went to the camp of Israel and said, hey, we're from a far country. Would you guys make a league with us? Okay, so let's just kind of walk through this real quick. Let's count the number of ways that Israel made their decision. How did they make the decision to include the Gibeonites, to be a part of their citizenship, to be a, a part of Israel? Uh, I mean, a major, major decision. How was that decision made? So let's walk through this. Uh, First of all, they tell them, hey, we're from a far country. And they can see their bodies right there with their eyes. They can see these guys. They they saw the moldy bread. They saw the patched uh, shoes, the old sacks and the wine bottles. I mean, with their eyes uh, or their body, they used that as one of the elements to help them make the decision whether, whether to bring these poor Gibeonites into the fold or not. So they used their body. They saw how sad looking they were, and they heard them almost cry to make peace with them, which worked on their soul. I mean, pity began to come out of their heart. Oh, you guys came this far? You came how far just to get with us? And you heard how strong our God really is and how we wiped out all the enemy and you've come here very humbly from a far country and in their heart and in their soul their soul was stirred up inside of them and they began to relate and communicate soul to soul with those people and it helped them in their decision making but guys listen to me if you all look up here that's where it stops in their decision making we don't find one place where their spirit was used And what does the Spirit communicate with? A holy God. We don't find one place in this whole passage where uh, Israel, Joshua, in spite of the defeat at Ai and them not praying and asking for God's blessing on their attack against Ai, here they are again. We don't find one place where they turn to God and say, God, here's what this looks like. Here's what it it sounds like. Here's what it even smells like. And, And here's how my heart is made to feel about these guys. God, what do you think about how we feel so strongly about these people? Not one time in the Bible do you find them turning to God and knowing that if they bring somebody like that into the fold, it could have devastating effects on their nation. Uh, Why in the world did they not stop, turn to God and say, God, what is your mind about this? And you know the answer to that. Every one of us sitting here tonight have all of us have made the same kind of decision. Something came up in front of us and our heart was so, we felt so strongly about that. I've had people come to me over the years, young people over the years, pastor, this is, uh, and I'm going way back, but pastor, I met somebody and, and he, uh, he's such a good guy and he's so sincere and, and I can see the, the relationship, the soul connection that was being made between this person and this person and he loves the lord i know he does is he saved well he's not saved yet but i know he's going to get saved and and this this strong appeal that comes out 
And they, you ask them the question, have you sincerely prayed to God and asked God, is this the kind of relationship God wants you in? They don't even really need to pray when you just read the Bible. You know that, right? And yet they've gone on to make that decision based upon two things, the way their soul felt and the way their physical body was able to view things and to look at things. We've all done that. From one time or another, made a stupid purchase. This looks like such a great deal. How could we, how could we not? Or made a friendship with somebody that you know, seemed like we know someone I was going to be able to be a blessing and a help to, and, and I kind of took them in into my life, maybe even in, a little bit into our family, and come to find out I hadn't really spent time with the Lord about those things, and finding out what God's mind was about that, and how it got into our lives and began to become a real problem within our home or in my own individual life. Read verse 14 again with me, guys. Look in verse 14. And the men took of their I've told you time and again now that's not victuals. I've said that for 38 years as victuals, but it's pronounced vittles. I can't help but think of the Beverly Hillbillies. Every time I read that word, that's what they went in and fixed their vittles for the, for the night. All right, so it has nothing to do with this sermon. Verse 14, and the men took of their vittles, get this, and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. How so basic that is. Such a simple thing to have done, and yet they did not do that. They just didn't turn their heart to the Lord. They didn't use their spirit to talk to God. Guys, listen to me. And from that day on, they had to live with an enemy inside their own country. From that day on. And they couldn't do a thing about it because of the commitment and the promise, the vow that they had made to those people. Uh, My mind goes backwards to uh, another young lady that I was very familiar with growing up in um, high school and so forth, involved in church, and um, had an attraction to another young man. The young man had an attraction to her. The young man was not saved. And um, long story short, used her eyes and her ears and her emotions, deep-seated emotions down inside. Those two things she used to make a decision to marry this man. And I, I know this family yet today. And every time I go back home, uh, when, they, when she is in church... He's never in church. He's still not saved. And the kids are torn. Do we go to church with mommy? Do we stay home with daddy? Mommy, why, why do I have to go to church when daddy doesn't go? And on and on. You, you know the story. It's a true story. It's a sad story. And living inside the house is, I know it's her husband, but I have to say, is the enemy to live with the rest of her life. There's a lot of us maybe on the verge of making some decisions, possibly. Things that will have an effect on you for a long, long time. And I think the Bible is so very clear tonight that you can make decisions, you can make heartfelt decisions, because soul to soul is really strong, but still leave God out of the equation 
And you're going to have problems, I promise you, the rest of your life. And maybe some of us, I can look back on times, I'd love to, I've often said if I had a pencil long enough that would stretch back into my past life that I could take the end of that pencil and erase some of those things I've done in my life. I, I Oh, how I wish I could do some of those things. But maybe we've made some decisions in our life and you know sitting here tonight, you might be sitting here saying in your, in your own heart, you know, that's me brought the enemy right into my life right into my family right <clears throat> I, I've, I've made friendship with somebody and I I feel so strongly about them I feel because that soul to soul is is real I feel so strongly about this friendship but friend honestly you may not have turned to God with that third part of our being our spirit that you communicate to God with and genuinely opened your heart up to the Lord and asked God is this somebody that ought to be in a relationship with. There may be things you ought to be doing at church or at the house of God or getting involved in, and, and you've used your heart and emotions and what you can see and touch and feel with your body, but you've yet to genuinely, honestly go to an altar and truly, in a sacrificial way, lay your life out before God and say, God, what is it you want for me in my life? And all it takes is a simple decision. To, to not leave out a third part of who we really are, the way that I can communicate with God, to be able to talk to God about what should I be doing in this part of my life. And if I could just finish up the message and just say, guys, if there's something that is at work in your heart and the Holy Spirit of God came alongside of you somewhere during the message, somewhere in the scripture reading, somewhere in the, the illustrations, and just kind of tapped you on the heart and said, hey, I need to take you back to that day when you made a decision and you did not include me and you know it. I've had people say to me, oh yeah, we prayed about that. You know, you can say words, guys, but you're not praying. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? I've been there. I can say words and put the name God at the front of that set of words and call it a prayer. And it was no more a prayer than if I read some secular book. Because I didn't really want God's opinion about something. And it cost me dearly. And I'd bring the enemy right into my life. What God wants is the friend of sinners, Jesus Christ. What God wants is to be the best friend you've ever had. And what God wants is to be the one that walks alongside of you. That leads you and guides and makes your decisions with you and for you. The one that you turn to. The one when you're hurting that you know this is the only real one that can really give me any kind of help and hope whatsoever is God. And I believe Jesus Christ tonight taps us on the heart and said, can I be that friend for you? Will, will, will you allow me to be the one you finally turn to and get your direction for what you're supposed to be doing in your life? We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.